0: Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website
1: at www.followchurch.com.au. All right, we're going to turn to God's Word now. So if you've got the Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to Mark, and we're going to start in Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible today, uh, on the aisles there are some baskets full of Bibles. And so if you want one of those, you can grab it. If you don't own a Bible, that's for you to keep. Take it home. It's our gift to you. Uh, We want everyone to have a Bible and to read it regularly. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1 today. We're going to go verses 16 to 18, and then we're going to flick over to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 37. And so let's pick it up first of all at Mark chapter 1 starting at verse 16. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Let's flick over to chapter 8. Picking up at verses 31 and we're going to go through to verse 37. This morning we have the privilege of having Dr. Omar Joandi, is it the right way to say it? Excellent, I got it right. Dr. Omar Joandi with us. Um, Dr. Omar has studied medicine and theology, so he's very smart. Much smarter than your usual pastor, and he's also written a book called Redefining Success. Uh, but since 2004, he's been the national director of SIM in Australia. SIM, of course, is a mission agency that supported Neil and Jocelyn Rowcroft in their work in Nigeria. Now, Neil and Jocelyn are obviously very precious to us, and so we appreciate everything that SIM has sown into their lives. As they serve the Lord on the mission field, Dr. Omar today is going to share with us from God's Word, from the passages we just read. And so, as he comes up this morning to share, let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Did you, did you pray for me, please? i And I'm going to pray for Dr. Omar as well. So let's let's bow our heads. Lord God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to gather today. And Lord, we're gathered for one reason, and that's to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to honor you today. Um, We want to thank you for all that you've done for us in the past, all for you're doing for us in the present, and all you've promised for us in the future. And so I pray today for our brother Omar. I just thank you that he's here with us today. Thank you for his willingness to come and to open your word and to really challenge us and encourage us about what it means to follow you and what it means to be on mission. And so I pray that you'd anoint his words, that you would speak through him by the power of your Holy Spirit and that we would hear it not just as words, but we'd imply those words to our heart and we would actually live them out. Lord, if any of us are challenged in mission I know a lot of us are in local mission but if there's people here today that uh, have been thinking about overseas mission I pray today if it's the right time that you would really prompt their hearts. Lord, I thank you for the work that Dr. Omar does at SIM and the way they support so many missionaries and we pray for each of those right now in every part of the world. I pray that you'd encourage their hearts. I pray that you give them supernatural strength. I pray that you give them boldness and courage. And I pray that you give them wisdom, that they'd have the words to speak at the right time, guided by you, uh, all for the name of Jesus to be lifted up in all sorts of different parts of the world. And we thank you for all this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Luke, and thank you, Fellow Baptists, for giving me the privilege to share
0: God's word with you this morning. And we love um, churches. I reckon the greatest love a church can show is that you send your best. Um, And so in Neil and Jocelyn and who knows, whoever else God will be sending from your church. And we'll continue to deepen the partnership together. When you saw the video clip, I don't know whether you realize almost all those people that you saw, bar a few handfuls, almost all of them hardly ever know clearly about Jesus. And so people come from all over Niger. I have been there. I did my medical elective. In Nigeria, I visited the Galmi Hospital, a country north of Nigeria, and I was able to be there. And to think that people in the hundreds uh, come each week, and that's probably the first and best opportunity I could hear about Jesus. Because there's freedom in the hospital, we have chaplains, we have local evangelists sharing the good news with those patients. And so thank you for what you're doing in, in praying for them, in, in loving them, and, and supporting them financially. I also bring greetings from my home church. So I go to Karimba Baptist Church, um, and, and it's always good to, to visit another Baptist church. And thank you for the worship team in, in refreshing us and leading us to worship. I want to speak on following Jesus in his mission this morning. Following Jesus in his mission. Now, you're called Follow Baptist. When I came in and I, was, I saw all these signs, I thought, great, I'm coming to a church who even call themselves... Follow Baptists. Why would I not just title my message, Following Jesus? Why following Jesus in his mission? Now, I get marketing people bombard us, you know, keep everything short, succinct, concise, and I'm going against the marketing wisdom. Why following Jesus in his mission? Any guesses? Those of you in marketing, I've lost your respect, but anyway. <laughs> I could have called the message, Follow. You're going to say something? i was going to say, because sometimes we follow Jesus for our own purposes and for our own idea of what we're on about rather than what he's on about. Yeah, sometimes we say we're following Jesus, and we're really about our own, whatever we're on about. Um, so... I'll introduce myself a little bit later, but um, our youngest child was born in Nairobi, Kenya, when we were following Jesus and doing his mission there. Uh, when we came back to Australia, he was only four, so of all the three kids we have, he has the least sort of strong memories about what most people's lifestyle is like. Between the ages of eight and 12, Stephen really struggled with my career change um, because at first I was a general practitioner. And Stephen really struggled with the house we live in, in Sydney. We live on the south part. Um, It's called the Sutherland Shire. And between the age of 8 and 12, we had conversations that went something like this. When Stephen would say, Dad, I wish you had stayed working as a medical doctor in Australia, because then you could could have earned lots of money. We could have a better house, bigger house, two storeys with a swimming pool, and you can buy me, and he had a long list of things I could buy him. (laughs) I tried to explain, Stephen, for your mum and I, life is not about the house we live in, the cars we drive. It's about following Jesus and doing what he wants us to do. Stephen replied, Dad, you can say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. (laughs) The next line he said, people at church do that. People at church do that. They say they follow Jesus and do whatever they want. The confusion for Stephen. True, all his friends, except for one that I can think of, because I've dropped him and all that sort of stuff, I know the houses his friends lived in. All except for one lived in better houses than we did. But some of his friends, guess where you find them on Sunday mornings? In church. So it was a struggle for him. How come they live in houses on the waterfront, big, huge mansions, and we don't have one of those? But can you really say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want? I suggest that's not what Jesus clearly explains. So in my own journey of trying to follow Jesus, we came to Australia. So I'm CIA, nothing to do with chasing terrorists, um, ethically Chinese. I was born in Indonesia, at the age of 10, our family emigrated to Australia. Back in the early 70s, it was a very different Australia. Does anyone know what the government immigration policy was called back then? Uh, next slide, please. The white Australia policy. Obviously, I'm not white. When I went to high school, guess how many non-whites were in my year? Just me, so I got bullied a lot and as you can see I'm not very big, I didn't learn kung-fu so I couldn't bash them up. <laughs> so some lunch times I would be on my own, wounded, at least if I'm on my own I didn't get taunted. Around the age of 16 when I started being more intense and following Jesus, and about the age of 16, at my home, church, Karambah Baptist, I believe God opened my eyes that throughout the world there are millions and millions of people who have never heard of Jesus. And I responded to the invitation, as I will give the invitation, when I said to the Lord, Lord Jesus, if you want to send me as a, your witness, here am I. I'm willing to go. What could a shy, wounded 16-year-old do? So I went to medicine because I thought, well, at least I can practically demonstrate the love of Jesus, and I went to University of New South Wales. I looked around, and I thought, wow, where did all these foreigners come from? (laughs) Some of you may not be aware, Southern Shire is the whitest part of Sydney, and so you still can go to suburbs today in, in Southern Shire that you hardly see people from other nations. So one step at a time, God gave me the courage, and I started reaching out. And so you might, I share this story because you might be like me. You've had history of bullying, your personality, I'm a strong introvert. Um, I'd rather be on my own. It's a struggle for me to talk to strangers. All Jesus asks of us is to take one step at a time. Did I convert anyone at uni? I don't think so. But I'm not responsible to convert anyone. Jesus asks of us to be his witness. It's their choice, it's the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I see myself more like sowing seeds. So coming down here last night at Sydney Airport, I get pulled over for those random checks. You know, I I get pulled over because with the name of Omar, I think it's in the system. (laughs) There's probably a spotlight as I'm walking through, you know. So this guy who checks me out, I thought, hmm, he looks a bit Pakistani. (laughs) Bit of a role reversal here. So I asked him where he's from, from Pakistan. I said, I visited Pakistan in 2011. I was thinking, you know, I don't have a long time. So all I said to him, you know, I went to Pakistan to share with people there. I love the people there. And I wanted to share that Isa loves them. And I hope you will one day come to know that Isa loves you. He smiled. He says, "Isa was a good prophet. And, you know, we, we couldn't have long conversations. But again, I'm just sowing seeds. And I say that because so many of us are bound up with fear that we've got to convert people. And we don't even start the conversations. And, and just so. So, the reverse, great idea, Halloween. I've never heard a church, well done, Follow Baptist, learning something new every day. Maybe I can share this with my own home church, and next year we could do something similar. Sow seeds, you just never know where it will bear fruit. So, when it was time for me to do theology, where would a Chinese, Indonesian, Australian study theology? In Africa. by then I had known God was sending me to Africa I thought if I studied there at the same time as learning the Bible I could learn the culture and more importantly develop great friendships so that I could have people who would be like mirrors and feedback into my life and and help me to be an effective cross-cultural witness all that to say following Jesus in his mission one step at a time you never know where God might lead you But I also want to make it clear that going overseas, following Jesus, it wasn't just all hard study and work. I had lots of adventures. I survived being chased by an elephant. (laughs) You know, how many people get to say I follow Jesus and survive being chased by an elephant? (laughs) So in case God were to send you somewhere and there are wild animals or these days maybe wild terrorists chasing you, let me give you a tip how to survive. Obviously, I did. You actually don't have to run faster than a wild animal. You only have to run faster than your friend. (laughs) Or have a friend like I did, even though we were both running, we didn't panic, we said let's split, at least one of us will survive. (laughs) The elephant got confused, couldn't make up its mind who to chase, we both survived. But I didn't survive being chased by a woman. No, if my wife heard this, it would be embarrassed. I, I did the chasing. She didn't survive me chasing her. Um, to further diversify my life, God got me to marry an American. <laughs> you might think our kids are confused. Uh, anyway, then we got back, as, as Pastor Luke mentioned, I, I've done, gone back and forth. Then I served as an associate pastor a second time we were in Kenya um, at church called Nairobi Chapel. It was 20 people back in '89. God so abundantly blessed that church, um, that by um, 98 had grown to 800 people. And the guy who was a lead pastor was my roommate at Bible school. So he said, please come and join us. So I served as an associate pastor and the church just kept growing. And now it's become probably a movement of about 80 churches in, in not only in Kenya, but in other parts of the world. So it was a buzz to be there. And then God called us back to Australia. So, our kids, you might think they're confused, but I think they're no more confused than that generation uh, average. Um, Eric's a physio, Rachel's studying law and international studies at Canberra. Uh, Next slide, please. And then Stephen is first year uni. SIM was started by three young men, and I hope you can think of all these people as ordinary human beings, just like you and me. I have tried to be transparent with you. I am ordinary. These three founders, Neil and Jocelyn, Matt, the great news is that God just asked us to come to him just as we are. And I wonder whether you might think you are the most suitable, most anointed, best person to reach out to the people around you. But some of you, God wants to send overseas. And so these three young men, out of love for God, love for people who have never heard of Jesus, went to a part of Africa that's now called Nigeria. Sadly, all three were struck down by a fever. Two died the one who survived, the youngest-looking on your right, um, inspired with others, the vision, and eventually, years later, a different group of people got to the interior. Out of that adversity now, Nigeria alone, the churches that have been planted uh, through work of S.I.M. numbers over 6,000, over 6 million believers. They're sending out workers all over the world. Next slide, please. And, and our new international director is actually Nigerian. So Dr. Joshua Borgunjoko often give thanks that someone left the safety and comfort of the West, came to the part of Africa where his family were. His parents got to hear the good news. Next slide, please. And then he came to know Jesus, went through an S.I.M. school, trained at an S.I.M. hospital, became a surgeon, and now for the last five years as our international director. So wherever God might be sending you, S.I.M. is a team of multicultural workers. And so it's not just from the West, it's from anywhere to everywhere. And I always appeal to people, don't limit God by whatever, bullying, history, woundedness, because God might even use that. I go to Bolivia and met with one of the leaders there. Within 20 minutes, he said to me, Brother, you're just like one of us. Because I could sense his pain over people that were oppressed by the conquerors, because of my history of bullying, Indonesia has been oppressed. Within 20 minutes, we're connected. And he says, brother, you're, you could be just like one of us. So you never know how God will use that challenge. Following Jesus in his mission, then, let me ask you a few hard questions. Would you permit me to do that? Thank you. I mean, the good thing about being a visiting speaker, you know, you don't know where I live, you don't know which car I came in, you can't slash my tires. (laughs) Probably the best thing you could do is send a lot of annoying emails to Luke. (laughs) The reason, I'll be honest, I do find it hard asking blunt, hard questions because my background, being Chinese, is supposed to be kind and gentle and... Being in Africa is beating around the bush, but you know I've only got 30 minutes, so I can't just beat around the bush. So it would it would, it would allow me to be Aussie this morning. Just go hard. Is that right? <laughs> Bottom line question for me that I would like to ask you: When we say we follow Jesus, how does that really impact our life? Can someone observing us, observing our Priorities: where we spend our time, looking at our credit card spending, our bank statements, where we invest. Next slide, please. Looking at our relationships, our ambition. Can they tell how much we follow Jesus? So you might want to give yourself a score there. Um, God might be convicting you that If somebody were to observe all that, they might not even know that you follow Jesus. If Stephen were to watch as an eight-year-old, were to watch those things listed above, as he watched people at church, would he observe that you are a follower of Jesus? The thing about this scale is it's an invitation to be honest. So it's not where you are, but if you're at a five, what would it take for you to grow to a six and so on? And I invite you to be honest. Jesus came to Peter and his mates and he said, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers or people. Have you seen their response? He says, At once they left their nets and followed Jesus. What did the nets represent for Peter and his mate? Income, financial security. What were they known as? Fishermen. What were their fathers, their grandfathers? Their security, their identity, fishing. Have you, have I left our security, our identity to follow Jesus? I would suggest following Jesus in 21st century Australia is extremely difficult. And if you're not finding it extremely difficult, if I could be hard and say and suggest maybe you're not following Jesus, but you're doing a Stephen. I'm saying I follow Jesus and I do whatever I want. Because where is our security? Where do we place I'm tired of being overwhelmed, particularly because I'm in my mid-50s. Somehow, somewhere, it must be known out there. I get so many bombardment about, have I laid enough for my superannuation? Can anyone here, you know, I won't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> raise your hand if you think, based on your financial advisor, you have put away enough for your superannuation. You know, they have a conflict of interest. Of course, they're going to tell us we don't have enough. The more we put away, the more they get. Anyway, I won't go there. So, the first step to follow Jesus in his mission is to actually acknowledge that we are constantly tempted to follow our own ambition, agenda, to make life about me, in contrast to the song we sing. Peter and his mates started well. The second Bible reading we read, some years have passed, they're heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus plainly taught that he's going to suffer. As we see in the next slide, he must be killed and after three days rise again. How did Peter respond? Peter, who started so well in leaving his nets, his secure identity, some years later, how did he respond? Use your imagination. It was a public setting. Jesus just taught. Peter got up. Well, he was already standing. He came to Jesus and said, come over here, Jesus, and told him off. Can you imagine that? Having observed Jesus cast out demons, calm the storm, Peter told Jesus off. Why? It didn't suit his terms and conditions. And I wonder whether you're aware what are your terms and conditions? Do you know what I mean by terms and conditions? you know when you sign up to a new electricity plan like I recently did, there, there are pages of terms and conditions. you've got to Click the tick on the box at the bottom. Does anybody here ever read those reams of terms and conditions? Oh, come on. Usually in, one, in a gathering like this, there's one, at least one OCD person. Who, who, yeah, yeah, or one lawyer. I tick the box because if I don't, I don't get my new phone or whatever. But what are your terms and conditions that you've given to Jesus? Lord, as long as you comply to these terms and re- regulations, conditions, I will follow you. Why do I say that? I have many friends that we started well at university. They have stopped following Jesus. One, he was looking to get married. He couldn't find anyone. Eventually, he decided to marry an unbeliever. Jesus didn't comply to his term and condition. I know people, when they got diagnosed with cancer, they stopped following Jesus. All of us have our terms and conditions. And they're usually exposed when we are suffering, when our prayers are getting no or wait. So Peter and his mate started well. By this stage, he was wrapped up with himself. Remember, they had lots of debates about who was the greatest among them, who's going to be on Jesus' right hand. So then Jesus responded, turned to Peter, looked at his disciples. So that means it wasn't just Peter when he says, Jesus looked at his disciples. He knew Peter wasn't the only one who struggled with the idea that the Messiah was going to suffer. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So this morning, I think you're sort of sensing I'm not all about theory. I'm not about what we say. I'm about what we practice, what we do. So this is a helpful diagram out of South America. There, theologians talk about you could have the theory on the left-hand side there. It must translate into action. When we take the action, it strengthens our conviction, and then there's the upward spiral. My theory, life's not about me. It's not about having a house on the waterfront. It's about following Jesus, doing what he wants us to do. My action is we live in a straightforward house. By the way, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. Um, We're dry when it rains, uh, relatively warm when it's cold. What more do we need from a house? And it's a house in Sydney, so it's a ridiculous price. (laughs) My friends, when we first moved into the house, um, one friend looked around and said, oh, this is a nice house for a first house thought is that a compliment or is that a bit of a dig i think it was a genuine compliment back then 23 years ago but now if i'm still at the same house is that a compliment or an insult well guess where we live today same house guess how much mortgage stress i suffer 23 years praise god we're, we're almost paying you off because we didn't get caught in the whirlpool of self-absorption. And I don't know if you're aware, the marketing in Australia is some of the best and most powerful in the world, constantly bombards us, hypnotizes us with the messages that life is about you. You are the most important. You deserve it. And so we get so wrapped up about our lifestyle, career choices, always looking for a better job, a better salary, better holiday, better homes and gardens. I don't know if anybody looks at better homes and gardens. Better homes and gardens, better than who? Your home and garden. (laughs) And and we let ourselves be insulted continuously. (laughs) I'm happy with my garden. It's called survival of the fittest. The reason the marketing is so powerful is because the world defines success according to what you possess. The house we live in, the cars we drive, the gadgets, the good-looking wife, the highly-paid husband, beautiful children, It's what we possess. And as long as we succumb to that definition, we'll be caught in that whirlpool of self-absorption. The way to fight that is to listen to Jesus and to follow Jesus because Jesus directly contradicted the world's definition of success when in Luke 12, he said, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of thugs, thieves and terrorists. There's something far more deadly. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, the desire to acquire... Because a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Jesus says, don't go there. Anytime we define ourselves according to what we possess, there will always be somebody who has a little bit more. And so we struggle with low self-esteem. We struggle with envy. We struggle with comparison. We say we follow Jesus, but then we're looking looking around. How am I faring? And we start comparing So out of my own personal struggle with success that I could have had it all... At the age of 23, I was in the pinnacle of success for a 23-year-old. I was graduating as a medical doctor, had my beautiful girlfriend. My dad, who was an aeronautical engineer, for the second time in my life told me, I'm proud of you. The other time was when I got into medicine. I was a success in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of my dad. Several years later, when I was leaving to go to Bible college to start a career to follow Jesus serving overseas. In my dad's eyes, I was a success. He said to me, Son, why would you leave a financially secure, prestigious career as a medical doctor in Australia to become what? A beggar. He knew I was interested in joining SIM. He said, you're going to go around to churches, ask your family, friends to support you financially. I was a failure in my dad's eyes. Interestingly, Stephen had one of these revelations one time. He said to me, Dad, I just realized both your dad dead and I wanted you to stay in medical practice in Australia. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, thanks, son, for reminding me both of you thought I was a failure. <laughs> Jesus defines success not according to what you possess, but according to being dependent on God as His child. So you could read on the following in Luke 12, to be kingdom-centered more than self-absorbed, to be generous to the poor. Um, The book's out of print. I I ended up writing a book, not because I wanted to be an author, but because we wanted to raise some funds. Uh, Like you, at one time, Narubi Chapel was growing rapidly and we needed to buy land and we were raising funds and God convicted me to turn my book, uh, my sermon, into a book. If you are interested, I use it as a fundraising now for a school in a low-income housing area in Pakistan where it's the light in the community. They know it's a Christian school, they allow the school there, they love the school. Most of the students, most of the teachers don't actually follow Jesus, but it's being a bright light, so if you're interested, I invite donation of $10. And There's a sign-up sheet, you can sign up or um, send me an email, um, we'll make it happen. So Jesus then, realizing that the people were not aware of what it means to follow him, his disciples, he called the crowd and he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Deny ourselves means that we're not going to be self-absorbed. Take up our cross, a symbol of death. We're going to die to ourselves, our ambitions, personal agenda, and we're going to follow Jesus. Jesus asked for everything from us. As the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, creator, the giver and sustainer of our lives, he is worthy of nothing less than our entire devotion. Jesus knew he was asking for everything because then he went on to say, Work it out. Whoever wants to save his life will actually lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. He's asking for everything, but if you don't give up everything, you will lose everything that really matters, your soul. Because Jesus went on to say, What good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his or her soul? What can they give in exchange? And when I read these words, sometimes the person that comes to mind, Steve Jobs, he gained the whole world. I mean, who among us would not want to have such a creative mind to invent something like Apple and all the products? He had the world. He got diagnosed with cancer. He spent millions and millions. What happened? (coughs) He died of cancer. And as far as I know, he never submitted to the lordship of Jesus. What has happened to his soul? Gaining the whole world, yet losing everything that matters. Following Jesus in his mission, the first step and ongoing step, so it's not just the one step you take. 30 years ago when I started following Jesus, you take it every day that life's not about me, it's about Jesus. Fighting that temptation to follow Jesus on our own terms. The second step, the good news, is that Jesus knows how weak we are. That left to ourselves, we'll keep going down this whirlpool of self-absorption. And that's why Marco alluded to the verse already in Acts chapter 1, 8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He knows we're weak. So if you are like me, had a history of wounding, you get nervous when you talk to a stranger, the good news is Jesus knows. That's why we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's when you can experience the God factor. Yes, through lots of practice, so don't assume. I still get nervous when I talk to people. I still get nervous before I come up to preach. You just learn, hey, yeah, there's a bit of nerves Just blurt it out. Who knows where God will lead you? So out of this, it's a straightforward definition. To be a Christ witness, it's local. We've already talked about that. The reverse Halloween. Uh, Where's the crossroad? There's a school called Minaret School. Who goes there? Muslims. Great opportunities. God's bringing people from all over the world to our doorsteps. I've had witness opportunities to people from Bangladesh... I've never been to Bangladesh. Taxi drivers are often people from Bangladesh, or Uber drivers now. 20 minutes, I have a captive audience. <laughs> but if we wait for all of them to come to our doorsteps, guess what happens? Literally billions of people will never hear of Jesus. Imagine if the disciples and the followers after that thought that we've got to reach all of Jerusalem Judea first. Before we think beyond, I doubt that many of us here of Jewish heritage, we heard the good news because someone left the safety and comfort of their home to bring the good news to wherever our predecessors might have been. Why not you? Why limit God? So it's got to be local, cross-cultural, and global simultaneously and lifelong. And you might be sitting there and think, this is way too hard, way harder than I thought following Jesus. Remember my point? If you're not finding following Jesus extremely difficult, maybe we're in that whirlpool. So you might feel like this donkey. But if you and I don't have days like when we feel like this donkey, why do we need faith? I reckon a lot of people who say they follow Jesus in Australia, they're honest, they find following Jesus a little boring. Why? I might suggest because they're primarily spectators. They're watching others do the exciting stuff. And and in Australia, a lot of things are more manageable than in most other countries, and then we get insurance for those areas that we think we're a bit at risk. So if we never take risk, we don't have days like this donkey, we don't experience God's empowering. So at the end of my message, I will ask those of you who want to say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, here am I, send me. Whether it be to my family and friends, people in my neighbours, people across the school, here I might send me. When I make that invitation for you, just where you are to raise your hands as we're praying, I'm not asking you whether you have the power or whether you have the abilities. I'm asking whether you're willing to surrender and follow Jesus. And then we'll be praying for each other to empower us because left to ourselves, we will be like this donkey. The reality, as I mentioned, around the world, there are billions of people who've never heard of Jesus. So if we stay in the realm of theory and say we follow Jesus but do whatever we want, we won't be sending people, we won't be praying for, as the next slide will show. These countries in the red are those with the least proportion of witnesses for Jesus, and that includes Niger. Last point is that so we fight the temptations, we receive God's empowering. The third is we must take action. So you might realise, I wouldn't know if I go, went across the road to Minaret School. I wouldn't know even where to begin. Well, raise that with your home group leaders or whatever and get some training. Get, we've got resources, we've got material. We'll try to make them available through Pastor Luke. Do whatever it takes, one step at a time. Pray. What would it take to spend half of our time praying for issues, needs and opportunities that are beyond ourselves? That's one way to fight the whirlpool of self-absorption. Over half of our time, praying for issues beyond ourselves. Give. Give generously. Give courageously. Don't, don't give of our safe margins. Exercise faith. Give huge amounts and depend on God. Send, you're doing that. Please continue to do that. You might be the one to be sent and then go. As I said, local, cross-cultural and global. So the fourth point, and the last point I should say, is the last point is the motivation. So let me just wrap up with why bother? Why not do the Stephen, of eight-year-old Stephen? Just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. Because if we fight the whirlpool of self-absorption, it will be extremely difficult. And I want to be clear that I'm not out to put anybody on a guilt trip. So if you're feeling condemned, that's not my intention. Remember that in Christ there is no condemnation. Guilt doesn't last very long anyway, and fear. I've had to talk with people that, you know, the picture is like, it's like God's been twisting their arm and, and they're reluctantly going to serve overseas because God's bigger and stronger. I said, that's not going to work. Fear won't last either. I think the only motivation that will last through all those challenges, through suffering... Is the motivation of love. Love for God and love for people, especially people who've never heard of Jesus. Now, back back one slide, please. So I'll finish with the with this story. When I was first heading over to, to Africa, my friends wanted to give me a good farewell. So downtown Sydney, there was a fancy hotel that had a chocolate festival where you come to a big ballroom about the size of this, and then you had to pay a lot of money, and my friends paid for me. And you come to a room, all these tables lined with everything chocolate you could imagine. Um, ice cream, parfait, the, those liqueur-scented chocolates. Um, and you could have as much as you like. And I did. <laughs> Eventually, I had to go to the bathroom. And I passed by another hall where there was a medical conference, signboard, topics, and speakers. While I was washing my hands, two doctors walked in. And I started having these deep thoughts. You can enjoy this lifestyle. If you stay working as a medical doctor in Australia, in 7 to 10 years, you'll start to get invitations to conferences like these. 15, 20 years, you'll be earning a good income. You could stay in hotels like this for your holidays. You're giving it up, throwing it away. What for? Is it worth it? As you struggle to follow Jesus, you might be tempted with the same question. Is it worth it? With those deep thoughts while I was washing my hands, I mean, by then they were sterile, I could have done surgery. (laughs) I began to realise that was the wrong question. True, I have given up that lifestyle. I can't afford to stay in hotels like that. But why did I give up that lifestyle? wasn't for my home church, Caribbean about Baptist. It wasn't for S.I.M. So when you st- are facing the challenges, adversity, suffering, please remember the question needs to be always, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth that much? And I had one of those rare, unnerving experiences. As if the Lord Jesus walked into that bathroom, asked me, Omar... Am I worth this much to you? The presence of Jesus felt so real, I wanted to shout, Yes, Jesus, you're worth this much and much more because you died for me. Paul puts it best in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, when he says, For the love of Christ compels us, motivates us, because we're convinced that he died for all that those who live, those of us who have received his gift of life, should no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who died for us and was raised again. Jesus is worthy of our entire devotion. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by people of all nations. Please stand as we close in prayer. Let's spend some moments of quietness to respond to the Lord Jesus, and I invite you from the depth of your heart to declare to him what he is worthy of from you. invite all of us to come to Jesus just as we are. Lord Jesus, we know you see us completely. There's nothing hidden from your sight. We celebrate your grace, your open arms to us, and you invite us to come to you just as we are. My sisters and brothers, come to Jesus with all your weaknesses, your history, your past, And whatever he might be convicting you about, that you come to him just as you are. He knows us anyway. And he is inviting you to confess and to repent, to respond to his grace. And remember that as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Receive his forgiveness and cleansing. And remember there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so with grateful hearts, I invite those of you who want to surrender to the Lord Jesus, just from where you are, to raise your hands like a child raising their hands to their dad or their mom, to ask them to lift you up. In raising your hands, I'm asking you to do two things. One is to surrender and to say like Isaiah, Here I am, my Lord, send me. Send to the people around me who don't know you, people of other cultures, and I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth. Remember, I'm not asking whether you have the abilities, but whether you're willing to surrender, to be motivated by love for God and love for people. And in raising your hands, the second thing is you're acknowledging your weakness and inadequacies, and you're asking the Lord Jesus to empower you. So let me invite you just where you are. That's the cry of your heart. Lord, I come just as I am. Here am I. Send me with all my weaknesses, my fears and trepidations. Here I am. Please send me. If that's the cry of your heart, would you raise your hand just where you are? And let us go from here, remembering God's grace. Remembering that it's Jesus who has said to us, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Receive the anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And let us go from here, being his witnesses, motivated by his love And follow Jesus in his mission. We commit one another to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.